We who are about to die salute you. Maury Tuesday. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Chris and Chris here to break down the fifth issue of our favorite comic book, Strike Force. Um, uh oh. Oh, Lord. How, how do you say that word? Brother, I'm Canadian. You're asking the wrong guy. I'm, I'm a New Yorker. How do you, how do you say? Well, we, we got a little bit of help here. We're having trouble pronouncing half of the name of this show. <laughs> Strike, strike force, Mori Tori? No, I, I, you know, I've heard it from a couple of people that I've been saying it the wrong way, or maybe we both been saying it the wrong Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, but uh, from our good friend uh, and uh, new recruit Joe Cabrera, he uh, he said that it's and, and and you know I'm looking at these two words here, and I'm not sure that they sound any different. I I, I know how I'm spelling it in my head when I say it. <laughs> <laughs> he said that it's M O R. I T U R I, which I mean that that that's what what it is. Mori, I don't know. Mori Turi. Mori Turi. Mori Turi. I I I I'm having trouble saying it. My tongue doesn't want to make that sound here or make the shape to to let that happen to facilitate the uri instead of the ori. Maybe um, Joe needs to come on and like pronounce it for us. Maybe. We just need a pronunciation guide from Joe. Uh, I, and this isn't the only time I heard this. I heard this from uh, from a listener named Tom Blake on Facebook. He says he's really enjoying the show, but he wants us to look up how to pronounce this word because he doesn't think we're saying it right. And I I really well, he, don't know. Well, he politely asked us, so maybe we he should did. give it a shot. So here here you go, Tommy and Joey. <laughs> Maybe it's Strike Force Mori Turi. Mori Turi. Turi. Hmm. I don't like I to sound. I can't promise I'm going to say that every single time. I, <laughs> I'm going to try my best because I, I you know, I don't want to inhibit anybody's, uh, you know, appreciation of the show if we're saying it wrong. Especially, you know, if we're saying it wrong, we're saying it wrong. I want to make sure we're trying to say it right at least. But uh, <laughs> you know, you and I, uh, we, we, you know, I, I think it, uh, it's clear to see or hear, I guess that. Uh, we both we both talk uh, we both talk right you know we <laughs> we both talk real good. What and, happens uh, when you combine a Newfoundlander and a New Yorker? This is what you get, folks. <laughs> this is what you get. And I'm thinking about like it's funny because I mean this is a word like I said I'm spelling it in my head and I'm saying it the way I think it's spelled you know but there are words that I say here that I I, I often he get a little bit of clap back on. And and I'm sure you're the same way. And, <laughs> oh, oh boy, am I ever! <laughs> you gotta you gotta pardon me here. I, I spent the better part of last week back in New York, so it might be a little bit thicker this week. I can't I can't promise that everything I say will be understandable. But uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about a couple words here because you know you know you get you get some of the mispronunciation stuff over the internet. Sure, I don't usually get it in person because when I'm with like mixed company out here, I think somebody who has a semi-exotic accent is more endearing 
than anything. And I, I think it's like a curiosity and they like hearing hearing the way I talk, you know, and oh, because well, I, we have, I like, agree 100 percent. I enjoy it as well. <laughs> there you go. But there are a couple of times, like actually in person, I'll get a little bit of clap back. And uh, I could think of two off the top of my head because they happened pretty recently. You know, uh, when you play in Nintendo, I play <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. I do as well. <laughs> okay, good, good. Because I get a lot of clapback on saying Mario. People say it's a. Uh, how, how, how do you do this here? Uh, you, you, you ha- you're, you're from Canada, so you might be able to smooth into the ah or the eh accent I, I, a little bit. Better. I, I think. Well, I pronounce it Super Mario as well. Yeah. But then you get the uh, the f- uh, phonetic snobs who say <laughs> Mario. Well, excuse me, Mario. You play your Super Mario. It sounds stupid. I can't even make my mouth make that shape, you know? (laughs) And the other one that I'm thinking of here is, you know, when you're looking at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Yep. Uh, You know, they all wore the red bandanas in in the comic book, but on the TV show, only one of them wore a red bandana. And I call him Raphael. Absolutely, I do as well. <laughs> Not Raphael. <laughs> Raphael. <laughs> Those are the only two times I actually get like in-person clapback that you know you're talking wrong. But uh, speaking of, listen, hmm? here's how here's how I pronounce it. So. It's definitely Raphael, but not not Raphael. Not you know where's where's the I, folks? Like there's there's no I in Raphael. Raphael, Jesus, I can't even say it. I don't know. But anyway, there was a there was a song Turtle Power, and they say Raphael. He's the leader of the group. They don't say Raphael. And by the way, Raphael is not the leader of the group, so I don't know who who came up with this Turtle Power song. But clearly, you don't know your turtles. Well, maybe they're pronouncing it wrong too. Then, if they if they get the uh, the the you know the the was it the order of command wrong here, they might have the language wrong too. <laughs> but uh, we just wanted to make sure that uh, we said up front that we are going to try in earnest to say Mori Turi 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 as in Tur Turi. Yes. So we've done okay. We're going to do our best. We got uh, it. And, we apologize if we were saying it wrong, and uh, we apologize for the future all the times we will probably say it wrong <laughs> today. But, <laughs> but you know, with that out of the way, you can find this program most Mondays at chrisandreggie.com and occasionally on a Tuesday, as in today. Uh, you'll find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. Everywhere you hear noise, you will be able to hear us. And, uh, you know, before we jump into this week's issue, we do have some announcements. We've got some feedback and we've got some new recruits. So you want to kick us off with uh, some of our feedback? Well, we've got Mr. Doc Strange, our good buddy, via Twitter. He says, I've been enjoying the show. We really appreciate that for sure. Absolutely, Doc. We also got Jeremy Da via Twitter. He says, really enjoying your show. My younger brother had a mail order subscription for this book in 87. My impressionable young mind was blown away. Our comics were even folded well, you know, were folded um, when they had a backing board. Wow. There, were, there was magic in getting those in the mail. And that came from our conversation uh, last week when we talked about my Marvel subscription. So yeah. mine basically came in a little sleeve paper bag and they used to come with a direct fold down the middle because they'd have to jam those in the post office box. Sure. So sure. The easiest way to do it was to take your Wolverine number one and <laughs> just put a nice crease down the middle of that bad boy and jam it right in. 
Yep. Oh, I can't imagine with a bag and board, like just reinforcing that crease to make oh, sure. Got to figure that's probably digging into the back of the book or the oh. front of the book, whatever way it is. Oh lordy. It's hard. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to look at my Wolverine subscription issues. I I, I literally I had to. They are. They were. They were birdcage liners in university. By the end of it. There you go. We got Man. some feedback from uh, our pal Sean Ross from the uh, Squadron Supreme podcast. He says, the show has reminded me how much I love this hidden gem of a series and has sparked a need to try Canadian Smarties. And we will have a update on Canadian oh, Smarties. Boy, do we have a Smarties update for uh, – I, I would like to say this show is unofficially sponsored by Smarties. I, I will get Smarties to sponsor this show. I guarantee it. We got to get on that for sure. We got to have a we'll have that sponsor in the show and then we'll have a we'll play a a promo for the Sinbad Genie movie and it'll be it'll be cake. It'll be great. Uh, our buddy Joe Cabrera, he says, you guys are recruiting us, your devoted fans for volunteers to undergo the moratorium prog- process. What could ever go wrong? And uh, we're going to find out all the things that can go wrong over the next several weeks. So it'll be all good. Uh, Chris Dimel via Facebook said, wait, there's a podcast about one of my favorite titles ever, and I'm only just now finding out about it. I'll have to check this out. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on number six. And then he, he sent us a little bit of uh, follow up and he says, I talked for over an hour about Moritori with Peter Gillis last year. And he said that that issue even shocked the bullpen. And that is yeah. coming next week. And, uh, Oh boy, it's a yes, it's a big... it, it it is a shocker. Nate Benton mm-hmm. queued uh, in from Facebook and he said, "Huge fan of Strike Force. Here we go, Mori Turi. So I'm going to jump all over this. So how about that? None Love too it. shabby, sir. Thanks for the feedback, gang. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, you offered people the opportunity to sign up. Ah, so here's what we got. Uh, so for the folks who signed up, we actually, they received via email some printable Moratory certificates for joining the program. They did. So we have three brand new Moratory listener members who've joined the process and who are currently right now training at the Moratory complex, undergoing their transformation. So mm-hmm. they're going to the see after the garden they're actually <laughs> going to see some action next week so we're just going to reveal who these folks are just call them out so joe cabrera was number one his code name is Lockshot, and he mm-hmm. has psionic eye blasts we also have jody yurden his code name is force field with protective shield energy barriers and mm-hmm. andrew franklin code name med who has been yes. supplanted with rapid touching healing capabilities, x-ray ocular abilities, and cellular disruption. Mm-hmm. So how about that? So all our heroes, they're reporting to the Moratory Center right now, undergoing a process, and by golly gosh, next week, I guarantee you, they're going to see some action. I love it. I love it. I, I wonder I wonder how uh, Dr. Tulema is taking to our new recruits. Oh boy, Doctor Tulima is—he just can't wait to get that next next round in there. So yeah, good luck, gentlemen. See. Yep, we will see that later on today. But uh, we do have some uh, thoughts because you know we, we we maybe we missed today Monday. Maybe we are recording Monday, so it's technically a moratory Monday still. But we might have missed releasing because we were just a little bit verklempt because we lost someone last week. We lost Lorna. Poor Lorna. Lorna gone. <laughs> One of the first to fall, but not the last, we promise you. And uh, we did send out, you know, a call, a call to action to, you know, share your thoughts about Lorna. And we did get a couple of responses, a couple of eulogies 
first from our good friend Green Lantern HG, uh, Mark. He says, great episode, gentlemen. And he, he actually mentions our VHS memories. He enjoyed that, which was a lot of fun. And uh, he said that the weirdest place he rented a VHS was at an arcade. And uh, that's interesting. I would never think that you'd, uh, that you'd. And where did you say you rented them from? I rented mine actually from a furniture store. That's right. That's right. I knew yes. it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mark follows up and he says, what can we say about Lorna? You were so. <laughs> hmm. just, just so. Yeah. You had the biggest. Hmm. There's at least two. Yeah, you were always so, mm, and we'll miss you. And uh, that's, that, I think that's as good as it's going to be because, I mean. Yeah, I think that covers Lorna. Yeah. Uh, do you want to handle this next one? Because this is a name that I might I might mispronounce. Oh, boy. This is Jason Munair. That's Munair. what I was going to say. Yes. Yeah. And he said, uh, Lorna, we hardly knew you. Your look was cool, and we hoped you and Viking would date, but compared to the others. And in quotations, he said, in brackets, he says, and most superheroes in general, <laughs> you were ridiculously underpowered. Frankly, we were we are betting that if you hadn't exploded, you'd be the first red, you'd be the first to red shirt. And indeed, she was. She was officially she was. the first red shirt of the entire gang. So poor Lorna. And uh, we want to thank you guys for chiming in on uh, on the passing of Lorna. And we're going to keep eulogies open. So if you guys have any follow up for Lorna, maybe you just discovered the show, and uh, you wanna you wanna you know chime in on your thoughts on Lorna, will uh, or or anybody who will die in the next. Uh, 30 something weeks i don't know 20 something weeks uh just definitely you know keep us in mind and keep them in your hearts and uh definitely share your <laughs> thoughts because we will definitely share them on the air and uh absolutely now you you have something maybe even more important than that so You've two got a of smarty us, story <laughs> two, two of us entrepreneurs and podcasting legends that we are we, <laughs> we we did we did world tours now you went to new york city so you know you were you were in the upper the upper class i went to halifax canada of all places nova scotia nova, Sco- nova <laughs> scotia there buddy yeah we went oh. up there playing some hockey there buddy no <laughs> <laughs> That was my best Canadian impression, even though I'm Canadian. So (laughs) anyway, uh, so Smarties, yeah. So I've been trying to get these folks as the unofficial sponsor of Muri Turi Mondays. Uh, So a funny thing happened. So I work in retail. I'm a manager in a a retail environment. And we had like a a large meeting, okay? So we had a chance to interact with some vendors. And who would be there but the fine folks from Nielsen Candy? Who? Wait a second. Also make Canadian Smarties. Hell yeah. So I got so I got to speak to the Smarties vendor and um, I was talking to her, you know, how I bring up Smarties in conversation and how I try to plug it to all our our U.S. friends and all our (laughs) listeners around. And uh, I actually came away with a free bag of brand new Smarties mix mix. Yes. Yes, sir. Now, what's this mix? It is a bunch of nuts and odd-shaped, uh, crunchy items, which I have not been. They're they're on the script as of right now, but <laughs> boy, they're tasty. Very now, good. I, now one guy, Mister At Lavahog, our, our good friend Diamond Dave, called mm-hmm. me out on the Twitter. Now this guy has been boasting the virtues of U.S. Smarties, okay, which we call <laughs> rockets in Canada, which I've gone over and over and over, and he basically <laughs> told me. Don't go bringing those milk chocolate to, to my door. He likes the chalk flavored buttons. They live here. So. 
it's true and then and then he also sent me a nice photo of an actual uh u.s smarties which is basically rockets in canada and he said hey charlton hero except no substitutes bub (laughs) now creed stonegate the bio exorcist which is probably the greatest name in the history of canadian twitter uh just basically came to my defense and he said canadian smarties rule so thank you creed stonegate bio exorcist thank you for being on my camp (laughs) and and actually this just in you got asked a question whether or not you save the the red ones for last (laughs) Uh, rob Rob lance on twitter sent us a a video about uh (laughs) Saving the red ones for last. So the famous, the famous uh, Smarties candy song here in Canada is, when you eat your Smarties, do you eat the red ones last? Do you suck them very slowly? Or anyway. That's, <laughs> that's vulgar. Or, or, or stick them up your ass. No, no I'm kidding. <laughs> But anyway, Smarties are delicious, and no, to be honest with you, I am a rebel, and I do not save the red ones for last. Sometimes I save up my blue ones because they're my favorite color and just eat those last, even though they're uh, the color really doesn't impact the taste. So I was going to say, they don't have like a different kind of tinge of flavor, right? Oh, no, 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 no. These things are milk chocolatey goodness in a candy coating, just different mm-hmm. colors. So, And okay. I think they've – and I think my wife will enjoy this. They've switched to um, like natural coloring instead of artificial coloring. Oh, good. Yeah, see? Very good. See? So Smarties are looking after you, folks. Just saying. <laughs> and, if you, and if you want to buy Smarties, you can buy them at any retail outlet in Canada. They are available. There you go. That's my Smarties plugs for today. <laughs> there actually is a candy store near me that that or not near me, but like like an hour drive away that has them. <laughs> I got to make the drive one of these days. Chris, you're gonna have to to experience Smarties live over the air, and I think our listeners want to hear that. I hear will. Your, I will hear that. your yes. guttural reaction to <laughs> biting into one of these milk chocolatey treats. <laughs> that, that's the one thing the show is lacking is lip smacking, more lip smacking <laughs> into the microphone. So we will. Uh, we will endeavor to uh, to fill that niche. But before we, before, we uh, jump okay. in, before we jump into our synopsis here, did you want to uh, just do a brief overrun of the basic outline of the issue and uh, who our creators are? Oh, certainly, certainly. We have. Certainly. Uh, this is issue number five of Strike Force Mori Turi, right? Oh, we did it. Yes. Okay. April 1987 cover date. The story is called Healing. Written by Peter B. Gillis, pencils by our buddy Brent Anderson, inks Scott Williams, letters Jim Novak, colors not by Max Scheel, but by Christine Scheel. I wonder if they're related. Probably. Edits Carl Potts, Chief Jim Shooter, cover price. Jim Shooter, Jim Shooter. Yes. Something Shooter. I don't know what his middle initial is, so I won't even put one in there. (laughs) Cover price, 75 cents American. 95 cents Canadian. Of course. And, savages. Uh, savages, I say. It's true. On sale date uh, from uh, Mike's Amazing World uh, over at mikesamazingworld.com, which is a, a really, really cool resource for finding out when things came out. And uh, it basically gives you like a newsstand look of what came out on certain days. It's a really cool site. Um, according to them, this uh, issue came out December 23rd, 1986. Ooh. And our synopsis is... Fate has struck down one member of the Strike Force. Who will be next? But even as the members of Strike Force, Maury Turi, confront the consequences of their decision to become superheroes, the rampaging alien horde unleashes a new menace, 
the healers. When another member of the strike force is struck down in battle, Earth may find itself at the mercy of the healers. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Well, let's jump into this thing. What do you think? I love it. So we open and we have our good good girl, Jaylene Adept, who is mourning the loss of her teammate, of course. Uh, Lorna fell victim to the Moritori process back in issue number four. As we, uh, If you listen to our show, um, we lost one of our Moritori members last time, and that's why we had our eulogy at the beginning. Now, Jaylene is known for one thing in this whole book, and it's for always crying, always being emotionally distressed, yes. and she does not let us down. She starts the book right out, <laughs> and she's uh, reading from the Holy Bible, and yes. she says, Lorna's with the Creator now. And as she always does, she's weeping. So, you know, uh, I wonder, did did she steal that Bible from a hotel, Chris? I'm wondering. Mm. I think, yeah, did you encounter uh, anything to do with, the, with the, the good Lord's book on your recent trip to New York, sir? You know, I did. Uh, we stayed Whoa. at uh, we stayed at the Westin uh, by Grand Central Station. And one of the first things I did was check to see if there was a Bible from our conversation a few weeks ago. Because neither of us could remember whether or not hotels still give (laughs) Bibles in every room. And so I had to find out. And sure enough, I found it. I took a picture. I sent it to you right away. And now we know that there are Bibles, at least in the room I was staying in. They they put a Bible in there. So uh, next time you're in a hotel, there's probably a Bible in the room. My goodness. Well, good. You listen, you were uh, you were among friends there, my brother, because uh, the hotel that I stayed at mm-hmm. was clearly built with heathens because they had <laughs> no they had no such Bible, my friend. <laughs> I don't know if it was stolen. Maybe Jaylene Jaylene stole the she darn thing. She snatched that one. That's she it. did. I don't She's know. got a collection. I could not rest at night. <laughs> all right moving on so anyway we we get to peek into jaylene's thoughts and she's reading to herself um uh that the moratory don't understand the facts that there is an afterlife and you know her ability to analyze things gives her a better perspective on life instead of the other so whereas people are you know they have this big clock looming over them that they're going to die in a year or maybe even less you know as we found out with lorna sure she doesn't worry about those things because she knows that, you know, she has the Lord with her. So she she balances that fear that way. She's got and comfort. Yeah, she has comfort. Yeah. And uh, we get to see Louie and Robert and they're consoling each other. Yeah, they're discussing Lorna's passing. And Robert notes that he, uh, you know, he thought she was attractive. Now, you know, that that might fly in the face. I don't know what Harold would think of that if two of them are crushing mm-hmm. on this poor girl. But Louie mentions that women would flock. uh you know, that women flocked to them if they had a chance to be with one of the Morituri recruits. Mm-hmm. And he laments that his power is pretty well useless if they're missing out on life, which is true. I mean, what's the point of having power or money if you have nobody to share it with? Exactly. <laughs> like, seriously, if you won $20 million and you had nobody to share it with or nobody to say, hey, I have this cool car or this cool house, <laughs> really, what's the point? Let's, exactly. be, let's be honest. It's like the, that Twilight Zone where they came back with all the gold, you know, where they went into like a yes. sleeping thing with all the gold and then they got back and gold was worthless. <laughs> yeah. So, like, well, basically, you know, we're, we're, we live to our environment. You know what I mean? Sure. So, so everything that we have is in relation to somebody else. So, it's all contextual. Yeah, contextual. Yes. Yeah. The reason we have things are because we use that as a status or we use that as a need or something to, you know, 
do I we wear clothes for the simple fact we don't want to see other people see us naked. <laughs> right. <laughs> so every, everything that we have is based on something. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But anyway, so Louis gets up for a walk and he goes to meet Harold. Now, Harold is busy and he's at his normal routine. He's got his Vivacom recorder and he's dictating and editing his notes on his computer. So Louis just asks if he needs some help. And, you know, Harold sort of brushes him off and he's using his his, his super technology, spoken notes to text. Now, Fitcher, mm-hmm. this is back in 1987. So, I mean, this is not something that freely existed. This was actually pretty groundbreaking tech, these, you know, tech he's talking about here. Sure. I mean, do you, do you recall anything that, you know, created text at a spoken word back in 87? No, oh God, no, no, not not that early. But I remember like the dragon ads, like where <laughs> you would have like some, like some, like a schlub wearing like a, like a weird headset. And he'd be talking yes. into it and it would get his words like, but the commercials would be weird because the words would actually type on the screen before he said them, <laughs> which <laughs> was really, you know, oh. the jig was up at that point. But, uh, but even now, ever... like trying to talk to Siri on the phone, it's, <laughs> uh, you never know. It's like, please give me directions to wherever. You never know what you're going to wind up. Half you're the right. time I agree with you hundred percent. Cross down. Yep. <laughs> I, I, li- I like these voice-activated things. Do you remember Nintendo had something? I can't remember the name of it. Google it. Fire! While fire! Yes, fire! fire! What was that piece <laughs> of garbage? What was that thing? <laughs> got to check that out. Uh, vamp for me here. Yeah, yeah okay. It was, it was a headset, basically, that Nintendo brought out, and it was a voice command, and oh. every time you wanted to fire or jump or do any action, you literally had to yell it into the headset. Now, the trick behind that was you didn't, have, you didn't necessarily have to say the word fire. You just had Laser to say... Laser scope. Yes. Oh, the laser scope. <laughs> All you had to do was go... Uh, uh. Yes, you could literally curse and swear. You could go F, F, F if you wanted to, and literally it would it would work. But yeah, check it out on Angry Video Game Nerd. He has a absolutely hilarious <laughs> video covering that piece of uh, piece of garbage there on YouTube. Full of hilarious. Episode anyway. forty seven. Apparently, it came up in Google. So yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but anyway, so Harold is Harold is meeting up with Louis, and Louis admits that he's going stir crazy, and he notes that you know. On the way back to the headquarters after their run at the Horde, uh, and with Lorne and all, he all he thought about, and this is Harold, all Harold could think about, even with the death of his friend, was finishing his book about his journey, you know, into becoming a Morituri. So he notes that the process does give them a year, but up to a year. Yeah. And that's all these guys get to think about. And I stress this all the time. Like, you know, you go through this process, you got unimaginable powers, and you got this clock looming over your head. All of a sudden, they realize that, hey, I may not even have a year. I may not even have a week. Exactly. And, you know, as, as a lot of our recruits are going to find out, boy, is that ever true. So <laughs> there's a flaw in said system, sir. <laughs> Anyway, this is far more grave than we ever imagined. Time is a lot more shorter, and, you know, Lorna's death was really the call out to that. So, Harold lets Louis hear, you know, his latest entry, his dictation into his Vivacom, too. And uh, he knew that Lorna would die first because she was fearless, confident, and ready to fight in debt. So, she doesn't have to be afraid anymore. And Harold envies that notion. He's, you know, he actually thinks that that is, you know, a good position to be in. She's dead. She doesn't have all the stress over him, and which leads to the point maybe that Harold should have listened to mom and dad and stayed <laughs> home writing for the local net, is all I'm saying. There you are. <laughs> Man. Meanwhile, 
you know, this is a weird thing. So there's another shot. We see a maintenance worker, and the maintenance worker is he's working on this large monument. Yeah. Now, as we step back a little bit, we see that he's actually chiseling Lorna's name into this big stone monument, and there's a list of other fallen recruits. Now, we met a couple of these folks uh, called the Black Watch. Now, those are the folks that uh, Harold idolized from the original uh, the original book. And his favorite now, comic, yeah. His favorite comic, absolutely. So there was three of those guys. We saw Clint, uh, Bruce, and... Woody. Uh, yeah, Woody. So those those were the original three. However, there's actually two different names as well. There's Aaron, and there's Patricia. Mm-hmm. Now, you might be wondering, wait a second, we're not familiar with these two. How did they get in there? And uh, we actually did some little bit of research, and I actually found it. I shared it with you on Twitter yep. that these two were the actual – there was actually five original recruits instead of the three that we know as the Black Watch. And two did not make it past their training session they in – didn't make it out of the garden. Yeah. The garden. So that was from uh, episode two if you two. want to flash back and hear all about the garden. And our recruits that we just joined up for our certificate program are going through the garden next week. So let's see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> so that is going to be uh, kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we catch up with Aileen. So good old Snapdragon. And she's video chatting. So also that's also new tech as well. Think about that back in 86, 87. You got sure. basic, basically someone video Skyping. Absolutely. This is pretty progressive here, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> uh, now she's talking to a uh, one of the new recruits called Cliff. Oh boy, do we find out about that guy after? Uh, <laughs> she asked him out to dinner when she is walked in by the always looming good old Commander Beth Neon. Now she, um, you know, she is clear that you know this proposed date. Uh, you know, it's not going to happen. So Beth shuts her down, shuts down the video terminal, which is basically it's it's almost like a hologram program. So instead of video, it's almost like a gas based hologram. It's yeah. it's some it's tech like you'll see it in theme parks now, like Disney uses it to project up on their screens. They use a series of lights and smoke and all that stuff to cast, you know, okay. uh, objects. It's pretty cool. So have you ever seen like a Disney fireworks show? They utilize a lot of that tech now. So, I mean, they, these guys are really ahead of the time. Hmm. Uh, but Beth notes that uh, now Aileen gets around a little bit. So this is actually her seventh potential date. So, you know, she's starting to work the crowd here. She's, she's uh, you know, taking advantage of her celebrity. You know what I mean? Sure. And uh, Aileen apologizes, noting that Lorna was very popular with the guys. Now, there was two guys in particular. She only worked with a, <laughs> with a couple, and two of them were, <laughs> were richly into her. Harold and Robert seemed to have a crush on her. And Lorna did everything in the world, including using the good old plunging neckline to, uh, to you know, to entice the boys. But so no. Now, as you know, with only one year left, Aileen wants to experience life before she dies, obviously. But good old Commander Beth notes that she won't be cooped up in this mountain hideout for too long. And she has but she has to remember that her overall objective is as a Mori Turi. And, uh, you know, the destruction of the Horde is at the top of her uh, top of her list. Yeah, absolutely. So she notes and and you're going to get mixed messages along the way from uh, Beth Neon. And you'll see a little bit later why she says you're not the only one who will die in these in this war. So, yeah, it's weird. Ominous, ominous, ominous words, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll get to see a little bit more of that. Now, we move to the Horde compound, and we see that the Horde is in disarray. So uh, last episode, they had a uh, – the Horde attacked the Gala, and they killed – you know, obviously it was the death of Lorna and all that stuff. They they did a 9-11-style attack on a building, and the higher brass of the Horde argues that 
every time one of their race is killed, a city must fall. So they're on a terror campaign. Yeah. They know, and their words are, without terror, they are not the masters of the world. And they're arguing between them. I mean, they're basically, you know, they're in a big, full-fledged argument over losing this little war. And they basically tell a little story about themselves. They say that they resorted to living off their own waste uh-huh. in deep space uh, to finding before they found this, you know, earth, which is filled with resources. So obviously it's to their benefit to hold on to earth, you know, the stranglehold that they have here to survive because, you know, what's the option? <laughs> Eat your own yeah, uh, excrement. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think that I, I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know at what point that you would be at your life where you would eat your own excrement. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I guess you'd do anything to survive. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, they bring forth a healer alien who looks almost like a um, uh, a green version of Gollum from Lord of the Rings is the only thing that I could say. And, yeah. you know. They are held in captivity by the Horde, and uh, he carries, like, this huge pumpkin-like plant in his hands, and we don't really know exactly what that is. And he's led to the Horde Inquirer. He notes that this is what will bring them horror. Now, we're going to find out about that very, very soon. So our next scene switches to a nice little happy scene in DuPage County, Illinois. Just a nice little location. And we'll see a father and three children. They're playing ball. Now, of course, the ball bounces off into the tree, so one of the young girls um, goes to retrieve it. So when she goes through the brush, she notices that there's this white jellyfish-type thing, almost like the horde uh, the horde healer was carrying. So she kneels down to touch it, and little mm. does she know that this thing grows tentacles and flashes over her face. So, um, you know, the girl is sucked downwards, and, uh, you know, everybody comes to her aid. So the mother tries to... Uh, tries to save her as uh, I guess the father runs off to get help. That <laughs> Looks like it doesn't. <laughs> God, don't worry, I'll go get help. You guys die there. <laughs> oh man. So anyway, uh, one person runs off and looks on in horror. Now the police arrive and they're questioning the story of this alien plant. It's almost like they don't believe it. And they come over and they see the dead bodies of the young girl and her mother. Now they are obviously dead. They aren't going nowhere. But something weird has happened to them. So suddenly they're bald. All their hair has fallen out. And their face is covered in this weird skin-like synthetic substance. So it's basically sealed them. Yeah. They almost look like if you've seen like an unpainted plastic doll, like it just looks like a faceless. Sure. If you uh, if you took a, like a pair of pantyhose and stretched it over your face, and I don't know why you would do that. And by the way, if you do that, you are weird. But this this is this this is the kind of uh, this is the kind of thing that you'd see. So uh, you know, if you're not on pantyhosefun.com, you know, <laughs> <laughs> normally you would die from this type of thing. So suddenly, the two police officers as well are attacked by the jelly-like creatures, and their face are covered with these this skin-type material, right? So. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we flash back to uh, Moratory headquarters, and the team is being debriefed on, you know, the strange occurrence with the jellyfish plant and all the resulting deaths. And Moratory are sent in to investigate, and Beth warns them about using the stealth craft to cover their tracks. And inside the craft, we see Harold, and he's busy again with his Vivicom dictating away on his recorder. His very best friend here. What is this guy doing? He's He's like obsessed. 
he's like that one person on like Facebook who like has to inform you on every single place they go, like the update <laughs> status. I'm checking in here. I'm checking yes. in there. I've moved from the couch to the fridge. There you go. <laughs> right? So anyway, Harold struggles with he's struggling again with that weird front braid. So oh. picture this. So if you ever heard of what's called a uh, well, I mean, I, I guess a braid, if you ever braided a piece of hair, Harold has this awkward and I mean, very, very awkward braid that just dangles in the front like it makes no physical sense why this would be a fashion statement in yeah. <laughs> i don't know maybe it's the future man maybe this is what we got to look forward to i don't know but <laughs> i can see why the horde wants to kill this guy because of a lousy hairstyle <laughs> that's true <laughs> i mean i had a do you know what a rat tail is oh yeah Oh, yeah. So I, d- I didn't know if that was a uh, a Canadian thing or what. You know, hanging out, you know, had the hockey hair there, buddy, and the rat tail there, right? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that's one of those fashion faux pas, and Harold has it, and, of course, he's, uh, he's fooling around with it. Um, now, Louis wishes that he could be a little bit more like Jaylene, and he wants to believe in the afterlife. And, you know, Jaylene tells him that all he has to do is open his heart to Christ. You know, the guy, now this gospel talk is all broken up by Robert, and he yells, heads up, crew, look. So as, they, uh, as the stealth ship lands on the farm grounds, they see that the ground is just littered with dead cows. And weirdly enough, they have this same skin-like substance that were covering the dead girl and her mother. Mm. Mm. Like, it's a mystery, Scoob. Right? So... <laughs> And the strike force have to find out what's going on in this big secret. So now our location ships back to the DuPage County Courthouse where, you know, horde soldiers are now holding fort. So they're informing like the people of Illinois that this skin plague is not a result of them, but it's a direct result of the violence and terrorism that, uh, you know, basically that the Morituri have Mm -hmm. set upon them. So, uh, and they'll remain in this plague state until the moratorium stop. So the people in the crowd tell the horde to stick it. And when one of the horde commander reminds them that the moratorium were attending a gala while your children die, that sort of hits a, <laughs> hits a note with people. Sure so, does, you know, yeah. our heroes are out partying it up. Yet, you know, here's your <laughs> children dying with this weird skin disorder. So, you know, that's going to set off a couple bells and whistles. But anyway... Uh, one note is that uh, an interesting panel, we get to see an up-close shot of one of the Horde soldiers. Now, apparently, obviously, when they kill people or when they loot a place, they like to steal some of the – basically, they loot all the places. And we'll see. I mean, they're sure. stealing everything from movies to uh, gala pamphlets to trinkets. <laughs> and sure. this particular one has stuff dangling from his face and from uh, from his nose and from a headpiece. So interesting enough, we see a Captain America Sentinel, Sentinel of Liberty pin. Mm-hmm. On the front of his head, we see a Captain Mid something to do with Captain Midnight. It's written in there. And he also has in his nose a little Orphan Andy button. It's true. It's, and there's even a Superman of America one on the side of his head. <laughs> yes. What is <laughs> so weird? Know. That's some random stuff going on there. <laughs> anyway, we go back to the moratory landing ship where our recruits are observing the flesh-colored dead on the ground. Now, they are met by a grieving father. Now, he's carrying the dead, flesh-covered body of his child, and he berates them. I mean, he gives it to him for causing the death of his child by stirring up the horde. He blames them, basically, for, you know, setting the horde off, you know. Uh, but anyway... 
um, he basically gets on a communicator and he rats out their location. Yep. So he, yes, he says, basically, he calls out the horde unit 1225. I don't know if that means anything. Then he basically says, you can have them. So he sells <laughs> the Morituri down the river. And it appears like there's a whole anti-moratory campaign that's going on here. So, you know, the little tricks that the Horde are doing are starting to make an impact on the public. So they're starting to buy in to this whole propaganda thing, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And and I'm telling you right now, the gang don't have two seconds to react as they're splashed with Horde fire right out of the gate. And, uh, you know, Marathon, Robert, uh, yells him to get to safety. And, you know, it's suddenly just... Uh, they try to run back to the ship, but they have no time to react. These guys are like getting bombarded and their ship is just destroyed out of the gate. And that leaves our heroes in, uh, you know, in some definite, definite danger. So one mm -hmm. thing that I'd like to call out, I mean, you know, and I guess it's like, I mean, this crosses over into everything we do. I mean, it's this uh, propaganda or like a herd mentality, man. Sure. And, uh, it, it's rampant. I mean, we're on social media. I mean, we're on Twitter all the time and probably, you know, one of the most toxic, toxic environments you could possibly have. <laughs> probably. We're, we're pretty fortunate, I think, because I don't know about you, but I don't hang around any much of the uh, the toxic accounts. I mean, we try to uh, put those no. folks on block, but it's very curated uh, feeds. Yes. But but what I find is that no matter what it is, if it's a movie, if it's a TV show, if it's a comic book. You always got these people who, you know, turn something into the flavor of the week. Either, you know, you got a reviewer or a website that's touting this project and saying it's mm -hmm. the best thing in the world. Then they drop it like a dirty shirt 10 seconds oh, later. Yeah. And oh, then it yeah. becomes the cool thing to hate on this thing. You know what I mean? Think oh, about you become the backlash, then you become the backlash to the backlash, and then you're the backlash to the backlash to the backlash. Yeah, it's, it's, exactly. it's a never-ending cycle. Think about think about you had movies like Justice League, okay? Now sure. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna defend that movie. I did enjoy it. However, the backlash was so harsh on that movie that it literally destroyed its box office out of the gate. You know what yeah. I mean? One of the biggest examples was Disney's John Carter. Do you remember, have you ever seen John Carter? I have not. So it's basically based on uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' book, John Carter of Mars. The Warlord of Mars or whatever. The Warlord yeah. of Mars, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it, it's based on that, but um, Disney took over the franchise, and they thought it was going to be you know, one of the biggest uh, box office smashes of all time. However, some early, early bad press and some, uh, you know, some reviews later, and you know, the studio itself even dropped support of this movie due to you know, the, the feedback and the bounce back, and that oh, movie wow. lost like over $200 million. So, I mean, it's it's known, of, you know, it's known as one of Disney's biggest flops. And, an, and another thing, like I'm a huge Walking Dead fan. You know, mm -hmm. I love the comic book. I love the TV show. And, you know, this was the hot TV show for for months. Sure. You know, even years, actually. I mean, super, super hot in the ratings and all that stuff. Somewhere along the lines, though, it the became turned. Yes. And it became <laughs> super cool. To be to be that one guy who says, uh, yeah, I used to watch The Walking Dead, but I got bored of it. Now I watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> Have they you turned on Game of Thrones yet? Yeah, I bet <laughs> you they haven't even seen one episode. They have no idea. Who Jon Snow is. They they don't have a clue. They they just like to wear the T-shirt and go. I like Game of Thrones. <laughs> I don't like Walking Dead anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's the flavor of the week, man. I don't know. It's just. 
It's just a crappy thing to do. Like sure. it, it just dumb things. And I mean, it just progresses into a lot of, lot of things. Like I know, like I said, like the walking dead is one of the biggest ones and another one. So think about how hot big bang theory was. Okay. I mean, uh, have you ever watched that show? I, I don't, I actually don't watch a whole lot of TV and, uh, I, I watch like two or three shows and that's about the size of it. And half so, of them are wrestling. So. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Oh my God. Well, what a great example for wrestling. You yeah. talk about like, remember the attitude era? Sure. Right. I mean, what was super popular about that? That was mega popular. Oh, I mean, it's it, huge. You couldn't yeah, go I mean, to the, you couldn't go outside your house without seeing the t-shirts and it yes. was just massive. And then all of a sudden, boom, Whoop. gone. Yeah. On to the next thing. Now all of a sudden you're you're beaten with nailed boards if you're seen with an Austin 316 <laughs> or an NWO shirt. Right. <laughs> well, starting to turn the corner, but you know what I mean. But Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. I mean, when this first came out, it was touted as you know the the renaissance of geekdom. You know what I mean? This was okay. this literally drove you know uh, geek culture basically, mm-hmm. and I don't like to call it that because you know <laughs> this is everything that these guys love in the in the show were comic books and movies, uh, sure. you know, toys. I mean, these guys lived everything that I grew up with and loved, and you know, it sort of spawned this whole nerd culture popularity that we live in right now and cosplay yeah. and all that stuff. It really, you know, really, really put a uh, put a hot end up. Yeah. It did, yeah. And uh, but anyway, it became. Vogue to crap all over it. Uh, I I didn't know what it was, and uh, and then I found out what it was. But it you know it's it's a TV show, and I I really don't watch too many of them anymore. So it's a uh, it didn't really uh, tickle my fancy or make me curious. So 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 it's one of those shows where people dumped it and said, oh you know it's not funny anymore, or they're not talking about geek stuff anymore, and everybody's got married, and you know the old kiss of death when it comes to you know, sitcoms and all that stuff is, you know, if your characters grow up or get married, you know, that's the end of that. But anyway, Big Bang Theory was literally almost like the plague of society. And, you know, people were rejoicing when it ended. And I'm a faithful guy, man. If I start a show or a movie or, you know, a comic book, I like to see it through, man. If I'm enjoying it, I like to see it through to the end. And it's Hmm. sad, but, and you know, another guy who really gets a lot of heat and a lot of propaganda smacked up against him and some deserved, some not is, Rob Leefield, man. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this guy, you got to admit, Ben, back in the late 80s, early 90s, Liefeld was smoking hot in the industry. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, it was just a breath God. of fresh air uh, from he the was. breaking away from the house style. It was very exciting, especially the books that he would take over. I mean, we went on New Mutants. We went from like Brett Blevins, who was kind of just eh. To Liefeld, who just like totally like shook the roof, you know, it was a totally different feel, tone, attitude. It was just uh, it was very just exciting. Something, something you never saw before, because, I mean, like you said, the original artwork was just just blah. I mean, they had mm-hmm. characters there, but all of a sudden you had these like just grotesque <laughs> Well, they're, they're not gross. I'm not, I don't mean it that way because I, I enjoy Rob Liefeld. But it can go that way too. Yes. Oh, yeah. My God. Like these characters were like nothing you ever seen. The proportions were all over the place. You know, they were up and down like a yo-yo. They had giant guns. Everybody had pouches. I mean, it was literally like a comic book revolution. I mean, McFarlane was doing crazy stuff with capes and webs. And I mean, you had uh, 
Jim Lee just, you know, drawn the phone book over there. I mean, it was a hot time for comic artists. But Liefeld, for some reason, was dropped like a hot rock. Yeah, he, I mean, the he turned on him pretty quick. Oh, boy. He went from hot artist to, like, industry pariah, like, fast. And, I mean, yeah. it... And I mean, the only thing that he was known for after a while was he's the guy who can't draw feet. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's funny because, I mean, as true as a lot of, you know, the art is, I think we might have like warm fuzzies for it because it came at a very particular time in our lives and fandom. Agreed. But uh, I feel so bad for people who only discovered him from like those like really, you know, too cute by half the 40 worst pictures of Rob Liefeld, you know, like those things that were littering the Internet back like in around the turn of the century. It's just such a disservice and uh, totally removes the context of just the excitement that 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 style actually brought. And the fact that, I mean, it was popular for a reason, you know, I mean, and neither of us are saying it's high art. But, uh, oh boy, was but, it but I mean, it, it's, I mean, and I hate doing the whole, it's better than anything I can do, but I mean, it is better than anything I can do, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, it's, it, he's a passionate guy. He loves comics and, uh, it's hard to hate a guy like that, but, uh, people will, uh, remove all context and, uh, and, and do whatever they can to forward their narrative or whatever. And he does a great job on Twitter <laughs> alienating the public. And oh, he, I, I, I love the fact that he reminds people that, uh, you know, he sold basically a bajillion comics. So anytime anyone ever gives him heat, he's just like, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I sold a billion comics. So stick that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway, basically, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, it just like the Horde, you know, the Horde just making up this propaganda against the strike force. It's sure. so easily done on the term, turn of a dime, man. People just, it's the, you know, the flavor of the week one time, but they could be so easily swayed just with one person's opinion it's just true. to turn around, right? But anyway, anyway, back to our story. <laughs> so anyway, uh, as you know, they were, our, our strike force team were just in, uh, you know, under a Horde attack. Uh, their ship just got blown up and Harold just yells for Radian to bombard the Horde ship with light. So his powers are basically light pulses mm-hmm. so harold lights up the ship above uh or louis lights up the ships above with and blinding the horde pilot so you know these guys are crashing into uh crashing into buildings and into the ground because they can't see because they're literally sure. blinded uh now they're not out of danger yet because all of a sudden they're attacked by horde foot soldiers and they rush them from all angles uh now blackthorn um you know she's done playing games and she literally grabs one of the hordes and she uses her powers to literally blow the heart and the entrails out of her attacker in a, just an awesome show of power. Now, Robert, on the other hand, has no problem dealing with these guys and he's just using them as like, like fun little punching bags. So he's got this guy off the ground and he's just <laughs> he's just whacking them like you ever see those uh, paddles that you get with the string and the ball at the yep. end see at a dollar shop or whatever this is what he's doing to this guy he's just he's just rattling his cage with punches to the face just like the little ball bouncing off a paddle and the sound effect is kind of cool it's just bap (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love robert he's such he's such a powerhouse now aileen all of a sudden is shaken by the screams of no and she notes the marathon that it must be harold now harold is in trouble of his own he is being shot at by a horde trooper now harold's powers or as viking He's able to redirect stuff so he can actually return the laser blast and he turns the actual laser blast back on the Hordemen themselves. So he kills them basically using their own weapons, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Harold, of course, turns around and he realizes that Jaylene Adept 
is actually in trouble. Now, adept's powers are analyzing powers. Now, you might say, what kind of a power is that to have out in a battlefield? <laughs> but uh, good old Jaylene actually seals herself. So she actually gets herself put underneath this skin plague that's going around, and her whole face is sealed in so she can't breathe. But what she's actually doing... She's analyzing. So she's trying to find out what this thing is and how to counteract it. Now, of course, she's dead as a doorknob on, <laughs> on the ground while this is happening. And all the other moratory are, uh, you know, trying to defend her. But, uh, you know, go Jaylene is all I got to say. Sure. And But, I mean, when you got a big monster truck like Robert who's just cleaning up the horde like crazy, he's just bapping people all over the place and kicking some ass. I mean, it's, it's quite the, quite the scene. I mean, you really get to see the moratori moratori power on full effect. So mm -hmm. they go to a safe building and, uh, you know, to allow Jaylene the time to analyze this skin hole thing. Right. So meanwhile, um, we're met with, with the guy who meets him up and the man, um, remember the guy who ratted them out? Who sold them out. Yeah. Yeah. So he shows up. And, uh, you know, he's still ragging on these people and he's just, you know, he's giving it to him for, uh, you know, for killing his son again and all that stuff. And they basically explain to him, oh, no, no, no. Look, it's Jaylene. She has the same thing going on. And he just snaps his fingers and is just like, oh, I was wrong. Yeah, he's totally cool with them then. Yeah, it's just like, wait a second. And, you know, it's I guess it's like the Big Bang Theory. Drop him, drop him like a dirty shirt, right? <laughs> it's just like the hordes. Yep. It's crazy. But anyway, meanwhile, while all this is happening, uh, Harold disarms the man. Like, he had a gun pointed at the moratory. But anyway, he, he joins them. But uh, Robert is in the background, and he's cleaning up. I mean, he's hitting the horde troopers from one end to the battlefield to the other. And he literally hits two of the horde troopers, knocking them skyward right through the roof. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is – it's just – it's comedic how, how easily Robert deals with these people. Now, the team notes that Jaylene has been under the skin play covering her face, and uh, they have to basically unseal her every couple minutes. So Aileen yeah. has been breaking the seal just to keep her alive as she's going through this process of analyzing what's going on. Now, they're discovered in the moratory pickup shop. So once again... The Horde invades, and buddy, they come full-fledged this time. So have you ever seen War of the Worlds or any of the incarnations or seen it in a book or any of the flying Probably. ships? Probably, sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, so, so these these uh, these ships that the, the Horde come in are definitely ripped off War of the Worlds. So they come oh, in, yeah. and they they absolutely decimate the place that, uh, that the Moratoria are in. But, of course, they got out just in the nick of time, of course. Um, but there's someone standing in the middle of the wreckage, and, of course, it's Harold. And he he sits in the middle of this. Now, he's taking the full force of all these moratory ships. He's using his redirect powers. But, I mean, let's be quite honest with you here. When you've got such an alien force and all this power coming towards them, it looks like our boy Harold was killed saving his team in one last Hail Mary. Oh. So... There's a beautiful panel, actually, that speaks to the power, especially of Brent Anderson's pencils here. Uh, we see the team mourning the loss of Harold as Aileen is just crying her eyes out. And she just basically says, oh, please, not Harold, too. Oh, that's and an I mean, awesome panel. That's a it is an panel. awesome panel. And I'm going to share it on uh, on Twitter under hashtag Moratory Mondays or awesome. Tuesdays for this one. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> it's, quite, it's, quite a, uh, it's quite a panel. And you know what? Uh, when you consider that they had just lost Lorna and now they're dealing with, uh, with Harold. I mean, it's just crazy what these people are going through. I mean, they signed up for this one year program in the hopes of fame and glory, but 
the sharp reality is hitting these people really quick. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, a little later at a nearby medical facility, that's WWE talk there. It is. <laughs> <laughs> we see Jaylene, who actually appears to be crying through her skin. Her eyes suddenly open, and she cries out to Aileen to smear her tears over her face. Now, you might think, what? <laughs> what is going on? But they discover that the tears actually dissolve the skin. So adept old Jaylene has done it again with her analyzing powers. I, I came down hard on poor old adept here at the beginning of this show <laughs> and all that stuff, just making fun of her that all she does is cry and do nothing. But for the past two issues, she's been like, Absolutely vital to the team, figuring Absolutely. out how to defeat these things. Yeah. So Radiant jokes to Jaylene that, you know, she has saved mankind literally with her tears. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but the thing is, remember how um, how the other folks died. They all lose their hair. So she's bald as a result, mm-hmm. which is not a bad look on her, quite honestly. But, you know, of course, it's Louie, the guy with the, you know, the flowing raven hair who's got to point this out. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You know, it's always that guy who points out the bald people, right? You're always the guy with the flowing mane, right? Oh, it's so sad you lost your hair, sir. (laughs) Meanwhile, we got our rat bag, our human who sold him down the river, and he's speaking to Aileen saying, you know, Viking, I'm sorry. And we are teased that we have, you know, that we had lost Harold. But suddenly we see that Harold actually survived and he shakes the man's hand. So good old good tease there, because I was literally convinced the first time I read this that you know, Harold was dead, but no, he literally used his entire redirection powers against an entire army, a fleet of ships and was able to literally counteract them. So, I mean, that is, if that's a power to have, that is one brother, I guarantee Mm -hmm. a redirection, man, really good tease there. I got to say about it the entire time. So anyway, meanwhile, at the moratory complex, uh, Dr. Tolima is introducing himself to the second generation of moratory that were introduced in the last issue. Uh, and it's only issue five, <laughs> and they're already breaking out basically their giant size X-Men team of replacements. But uh, we get to see uh, three individuals who are going to be the next round of recruits. So that is the end of our issue. And the next issue says foray for Hollywood. So there you go. What do you think? What do you think of the issue, Mr. Sheehan? Oh, it was a heck of an issue. I, I, you know, when I when I reread this um, a couple of weeks back, I it seemed kind of dull in the beginning with the uh, with the with the jellyfish, and uh, it just seemed like a downtime issue. And once you hit the staples, boy, it's uh, it picks up oh boy. quick. I it's, agree. Uh, oh, it's a wild ride for the second half, and a real you know, I just love the fact that. These, this this team of seemingly like interchangeable people has just won us over. You know, I mean, they I all are just because uh, like you look at them and they're not much to look at. You know, I mean, they're just <laughs> and then that's not a slight on the art because the art's fantastic. But it's just like what's special about these people? But in reading it, I mean, they are a wonderful cast and uh, you really find yourself caring. And, you know, Harold taking down an entire fleet of ships. I mean, it's just oh, it's wild. And, and the fact that when they thought he was gone, that wonderful panel that you pointed out, it, that it hurt them like viscerally, you know, that Literally, they, thought, yeah. they, yeah, they thought that they lost their leader and it's just a wonderful, wonderful issue. Wonderful book. Um, I know we say this every episode, but you know, if, if you have the opportunity, check this book out because it's, 
it's just damn good. I agree. <laughs> I, 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 I as well really – I really love this issue. So I love seeing this team in action because they, they utilize great teamwork all the time. You, and you, all you, of I, their powers. All yeah. All of their powers. It's, I, but even, even Radiant gets to do something. You get to see like each person you literally – like they seem like a mismatch of powers. Like, you know, basically it's not the prototype team of, you know, you have your speedster and you have your person with flight and you have the your – you know, yeah. Yes, you have your, you know, your generic X-Men slash JLA yep. team. You know what I mean? These people have weird powers. So redirection, uh, mm-hmm. analyzing, light. I mean, come on. If, you, if I said to you, okay, we're going to build an army with someone who can analyze and shoot light. You'd be oh, like, what? Yeah. We, 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 we dismissed her the first issue. It's like, oh, come on. But, yeah, it's, it's, it, but the fact that she has just come to their rescue so many times. I mean, last yeah. last week, uh, she you know she licked that venom off the guy's claws to, to come up with an antidote. And she spit the antidote out. I mean, that's just awesome. Oh, it's, man. And we have here we have Aileen who's like using her melty powers to cut holes in in the in the skin mask thing. It's just so, so interesting and so creative the way that they they make all these characters matter and count and be effective. It's just so cool. I agree. Like I loved there are a couple things about this issue. I love the marathon, Big Robert. I mean, just destroying oh, yeah. the horde. Uh, we got to see Harold almost dying. I fully bought into the fact that he was dead. This issue, mm-hmm. uh, more to come later. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, and of course the humans turning on the on the moratorium. I mean, this was absolutely this, this was a slam dunk, man. Absolutely. What else we What else we got in this book, Sheehan? Well, we got the weird skin covering. Uh, the fact that the the, the the visual of the skin covering the face and the Ugh. it's just uh it's it, uh, horror <laughs> you know <The laughs> it horde, is horror and the horde actually refers to it as horror and so much of what the horde has done over the past five issues it's nothing but horror i mean we saw them do the shooting star thing where they threw a human out one at a time so they look like Ugh. shooting stars to send a message Yes. Here we have them invading suburbia and putting flesh masks on people. I mean, it's Jeez. oh, it's sick. It's scary. It's just, I mean, the, these guys don't mess around. They, they, it's nope. really and the propaganda. I mean, it, it's just such a savvy way uh, of villainy, of villainry. I mean, they've they've turned they turned the humans against the Morituri. It's it's just a really uh, smart way to build a conflict here, and it's just uh, it's just really super cool. And and I feel like we're gushing, but we are. <laughs> this is and, really and, and these these are good. real these are real bad guys. Like there's nothing likable about nothing these redeemable. Dudes. Nothing like, redeemable. Their their look. Even, yeah. Oh, they're, they're repelling. Hard. Just absolutely <laughs> repelling. And the fact that they survived off their own excrement. <laughs> I think, you know, like if somebody would have written that in current year, we'd kind of feel bad for the people who had to do that. You don't feel bad for the Horde at all. Nope. The serve, horde, that's, serve it up <laughs> hot, brother. Serve it up they hot. They are. They are <laughs> irredeemable. They are just horrible. And, uh, oh, man, it's just it's just such strong stuff here. Such the, strong stuff. The skin mask reminded me of uh, – I remember as a kid I had Detective uh, 506, and it was Batman versus the Mannequin. Okay. And, I mean, the, the Mannequin was basically just that. It was just a, 
you know, a store mannequin with no visual painted no over features. the face. Yeah. No features. And that's what it reminded me of. And I always okay. thought that was creepy as F, man. It was oh, just, yeah. I don't it know. Died. Yeah, I'm looking anyway, at the cover now. That's, that's yeah, just, just something else. Yeah. <laughs> it, it always set me back as a kid. I'm like, Ugh, I don't like the mannequin. <laughs> And mannequins are just scary. Mannequins are just creepy They are, things. man. They are. You just don't want those things attacking you. I don't know. <laughs> what, what, what else do we have, have in this book here? Yeah. We, we learn things every time, not just about the Moriturri, but, but about other things. Unfortunately, Marvel did not see fit to include a bullpen bulletin, so we have no words of wisdom from James middle initial shooter. We don't know anything <laughs> about him suing DC or... Being a role model for children, we don't know anything of that. So uh, that also means we don't have the what's you know what's out this week sort of thing from Marvel. So uh, we went over to uh, Mike's Amazing World to just pull up some Marvel books that were on sale during December 1986. Uh, just some notable ones, not very many, but uh, we do learn that it's Versus Month at uh-huh. Marvel. We have uh, three books with verses in the title. We have Mephisto Versus, number one, which is Mephisto versus the Fantastic Four. And I think I'm saying Mephisto, right? Is that the way you say Mephisto or is it Mephisto? I, I always say Mephisto as in your fist, but I may be, I may be wrong. I mean, we were mispronouncing Moratori for, uh, and, and Mario. And Mario, <laughs> of course. So it could be Mephisto. I don't know. Mephisto. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure but, one of the guys will remind us. Sure, sure. M- M- Mephist, Mephist, that guy ain't the only one versus something here. We have uh, the X-Men who are getting a lot of action here. Boy. We have the X-Men versus the Avengers number one. And then wah, a little bit. Wah, wah. Yeah. And then a little further down the alphabet, we have the Fantastic Four versus the X-Men number two and three. <laughs> Boy, they were banging who those they- out. Who did they piss off? I mean, they're, they're fighting everybody. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it wasn't the it wasn't a Mephisto versus the X Men. Otherwise, we could add the trifecta here. But uh, you know, just some interesting things to point out about the month. Uh, also, Incredible Hulk number three twenty nine, which was the final issue before Todd McFarlane showed up. Ah. So kind of an end of an era, a kind of a middling era. With is I think this is Bill Mantlo writing still. Uh, not my favorite. It was that little bridge between the John Byrne run and the and the Peter David run, where yeah, it was uh, pretty loose stuff there, man. Yeah, yeah. You know when John Byrne came in to bring the Hulk back to basics by marrying him off. You know oh. that, that nothing says back to basics like marrying the Hulk off. But uh, what do you gonna do? <laughs> Bur- Byrne had that one reboot, and he never did quite get past Man of Steel. It's true. I don't true. know. <laughs> we also have uh, a biggie. We have Fantastic Four number 300, um, which uh, Byrne was gone from at the time. But uh, I I don't remember Fantastic Four number 300 very much. I know I've had I have it and I know I've read it, but I don't remember a whole heck of a lot about it. I don't either. I don't. Yeah. I don't rec- I'm just got to look that up while you're carrying on here. I got to check sure. this out. But uh, you know, we'll we'll put a link to uh, Mike's Amazing World in the show notes here because it's it, uh, this is such a cool resource, and uh, you could definitely lose an afternoon or two just uh, going through and looking at all the covers and finding out what maybe a a newsstand looked like on a given week or a given month uh, sometime in the past. It's a, it's a lot of fun, but uh, you know, we don't have much more to say about those, so we'll move over to the ads. And believe it or not. You know, we were complaining, or I was complaining, about Gumby and Pokey and Gumdingerland, and only seeing that first part. <laughs> this issue has parts two and three. 
Boy, they they really wanted to make sure that you got the end of this story. I guarantee you. It, and you know what? It took me like three or four times looking at it to make to, to even realize that they were different strips because they look <laughs> exactly the same. They didn't stretch the boundaries of storyline telling. I guarantee no, you. Oh no! But in the second part, Gumby and Pokey they're still floating over Gumdingerland, <laughs> but the the balloon that they're in pops, and you know. Gumby and Pokey bail out. They land okay because they're made out of clay, so they don't die or anything. Uh, and then they behold all the flavors of Gumdinger Pops, including cherry, grape, watermelon, apple, orange, and vanilla and strawberry ice creams. And then Gumby blows a bubble and starts flowing, floating away. I mean, that's... It's probably uh, for the best. But that's a cliffhanger right there, I tell you yes, what. Yes, it still says to be continued. It does, it does. But then we go to part three, and Gumby is floating. Pokey is standing there like a <laughs> like an ass, saying, I always knew you were full of hot air, which doesn't help the matter in any way. But uh, Gumby has managed to float up in the air. Pokey jumps on his uh, legs, and he's holding on to him, so it looks like Gumby's kind of riding him in the air. And then uh, Pokey climbs up his front, which is very, very obscene looking. But before Gumby's bubble pops they make it back into their balloon which i don't know how it reinflated but it did and they floated away and that's the end of it that's that's all three parts of a uh, gumby and pokey and their gumdinger adventures Mercifully. they survived <laughs> <laughs> there is no part four as far as we know uh, if you do discover a part four or if you have gumby and pokey in, in gumdinger fan fiction let us know we will uh, read it on the air but uh, you know what this needs, Chris? Hmm. I think someone needs to start a Gumby and Pokey Gumdinger podcast. Oh, man, we can get at least three episodes out of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's Brutal. before it's the just... fan fiction. It'll be great. <laughs> and we'll get Aaron Anderson to dictate it. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, inside joke, folks. More snores than you could uh, shake a stick at. But uh, another one we have here is prizes or cash. So this is like when you would like sell stuff to your friends and neighbors and just make a make a pariah out of yourself. This is from the Sales <laughs> Leadership Club. This isn't Captain Olympic. Uh, we'll probably talk about him in a couple of weeks. But this is one of those pages like like we talked about those uh, like the mile high ads where you'd write down all the stuff you wanted and you'd, you'd add up the you know add up the prices and you'd you know you'd hand your mother a list and it's like this is what I want for Christmas. It's eight hundred dollars worth of comics and she'll tell you to get out of there. But uh, you have these <laughs> you have these prizes of cash things here where you uh, find out how many points you need for certain items here. Like if you sell eight items, you can get a harmonica, Ooh. which is uh, you know pretty cool. And there was always like the TV set, you know, a tiny TV set. Uh, there's a radio control car. There's always a microscope. There was <laughs> you like, know, a, a, a calculator alarm watch. Yes. yes. <laughs> or those, or the uh, calculator alarm watches that turn into robots. I, I mean, loved them. So many loved them, sir. I had a blue <laughs> one. And I brought I think it to school I did one day, and the leg fell off because they had these weird little joints. And of oh, course, they're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I, listen, I never break my toys. It's always some other idiot who touch, you know, <laughs> touches my stuff, and that's why I'm really possessive over my junk because I don't like anybody breaking my robot wristwatch. <laughs> and you had the, uh, you had the thing that kind of looked like a Walkman, but yeah. it was it was always just an AM/FM receiver. Ugh. Like there was no tape deck, there was no CD player. It was just a little radio. Like actually, not even a little radio. It was like the size where you could have put a, a you know a cassette into it, 
But uh, if you had, if you sold 15 items, you could get yourself a GE AM FM transmitter. Man, radio. I'm not joking. I believe my wife actually owns that particular one. Maybe she was selling stuff back in the day. I don't know. You got to find out if she sold 15 items. Were you in the sales <laughs> leadership club using getting prizes for cash? Was this what was happening? Who knows? <laughs> we need to know her secret origin here. <laughs> if she sold products for cash. Uh, <laughs> We have or prizes for cash. We have a karate catalog that you can order, signed by Chuck Norris. Ooh. Does it get any more 1980s than that? Man, Invasion USA, Lone Wolf McQuaid, Chuck Norris was and still is the man. Mm-hmm. I mean, just mm-hmm. just imagine receiving a autographed catalog or no, an autographed photo with the catalog. Ooh. Oh man, amazing stuff here. This just boggles the mind. We have some house ads. Uh, we've got the Fallen Angels miniseries, Ugh. which was a, a very yeah. dull, yeah, very dull New Mutants spinoff. It's always one that I conflated with the X Terminators, which yes. was uh, oh. one from X Factor. It had like Rusty and Skids and uh, Wiz Kid and the one with the lobster. <laughs> you know, there was yes. like a little mutant kid with lobsters. I always got those two mixed up, and um, I, I've actually made reading projects out of both of them in the past, and I never made it through. Oh, they no, just, it's, it's always just so treacherous. Dull. Treacherous. Yeah. Um, from the epic line from Marvel, we have Alien Legion, which I've got a ton of issues of, and I don't think I ever read it. Have you – are you have any familiarity with Alien Legion? Well, this is, this is the graphic novel one, and you know what? This has been in my hands at least 100 times, but I have no – I have do not have a copy of it. But it's <laughs> it's it's one of it's one of those things where I always intend to pick it up if I sure. see it. And I'll, you know what? If someone gave it to me today, of course, I'd buy it. Sure. But, nope, never ever read it, never cracked the cover. Any good? I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember a bit of it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's not any good is Comet Man with uh, from Kelly Jones. And Billy Mummy and uh, my man Miguel Ferrer from uh, – he played Albert on Twin Peaks. But uh, <laughs> is this that- is uh, – this is trash, man. This is oh, so it's it's so ugly. And I he like if you look at it real quick, it kind of looks like the Will Payton Starman from yeah. DC. Like and if I think you that's look the at intention. it real quick, it almost has to be, huh? It looks a lot like it. But his powers, of course, come from Haley's Comet, which was the hugest thing in the world to uh, to like a six or seven year old me back in the day, because it was just like <laughs> it was all you heard about was Haley's Comet. And it's, oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Oh, man, it was huge. But uh, the last two ads we want to discuss are Dungeons & Dragons. We have Dungeons & Dragons. Hell, yes. And so we have Dungeons- the Marvel superheroes, from, also from TSR, the role-playing. So uh, the role-playing, uh, pa- paper and pencil, tabletop, whatever you want to call it, RPGs were pretty big. And you were into D&D, right? Oh, man. Listen, that D&D cartoon. I lived oh, and breathed for that cartoon back in the 80s, man. I mean, I, it, there was, a, what, 13 episodes in total, I believe. I don't think there was a lot. Two seasons worth, anyway. And mm. uh, I loved the entire show. It was unbelievable. I loved all the characters, and I could not wait to play Dungeons & Dragons. So just for context, um, D&D was not something that was available in my hometown. So okay. it's something that I had to literally travel to, like, another city to actually, you know, see any of the compendiums or to see oh, wow. the actual kits. And 
I never really had anybody to play with, so it was always one of these things where there was never anybody who I could play with or had the other books or had anything, so I was never in a position to play it. Then sure. all of a sudden, this guy moved into my class, and he was a D&D player. I went to his house one day, and he had the Dungeons & Dragons starter kit, and I was like, what? You've got Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> So we, we started, and it was literally, I've only played three games of D&D in my entire life. That was one. And then during my <laughs> university experience, I went into this, uh, it was a society. They had a Dungeons & Dragons society. And okay. um, I got the hell out of that as quick as I could go. <laughs> Because I had a fascination with it. I mean, I love the cartoon. I had a base knowledge. I saw all these things. But, I mean, when I went into this, these people were literally Four, huh? the characters. They were in, like, the D&D world. They existed and lived there, and they could not think outside the box. And I was like, okay, you know what? You dudes are too messed up for me. And I uh, I quickly got out of that. So, <laughs> no, I haven't played the Marvel one. I don't know uh, Marvel superheroes advanced set. Have you? No, I, I, you know, I've never done any uh, tabletop RPGs, and oh, you know, man, on that, I, you know, I always wanted to, but uh, you know, I, I, I've never had very many friends, but <laughs> and I also have a problem, <laughs> I have a problem sitting still for all that long, but uh, you know, that cartoon, I, I, I hadn't watched it in years, and I actually listened to a podcast where they discussed it not too long ago. Uh, it was a uh, throwback reviews. It was Rob O'Hara. Um, and our friend Vic Sage was uh, was guesting on that episode, and they discussed the uh, the run of uh, the D and D cartoon. And I've tried finding that episode again, and I haven't been able to because it was such a good listen. And uh, oh man, we got to hit our boys up. Those are two great to. podcasters. I can't wait to hear Absolutely. anything if they're covering D and D. Chris and Chris are in. Let we us are know. in like Flynn. It was a it's a heck of an episode, and I've wanted to listen to it again, and I just haven't been able to find it. But uh, D&D actually is part of the reason that I, I'm even into comics. I've, I've shared this story a couple times before, and I'll give the very, very quick version of it. But uh, I had a friend who was into D&D, and uh, I would help him out by drawing all the characters. And uh, we would do uh, we would do like the character, like the builds, you know, where you'd roll the dice and you'd, you'd get the stats and all that stuff. And uh, he'd pick armor, and I would draw the, the armor and the shields or whatever. And uh, one day I got over to his house and he had all these characters already drawn and they looked awesome. And I'm like, how did you draw these? You know, I didn't know you could draw. And he's like, I can't. I traced them. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, well, where did you trace them from? And he, he showed me a book where he was able to trace just outlines of figures and he filled them in himself. And the outlines were in the ElfQuest Gatherum. And that was the first time I saw ElfQuest. And so I took that book home with me. He he had gotten it from the library, but I took the book home with me so I could draw up a bunch of characters for him. And uh, that night in bed, I'm I'm drawing characters, and then I'm like, you know what? I'll read this thing, see what it's all about. And that's how I got hooked on ElfQuest. And then Ooh. ElfQuest is what got me to go to a comic store the first time. And that's when I saw the X Men, and that's when everything started. And that's how I'm here right now. So it's a, a very circular way to get into the hobby, but I owe a lot of it or all of it to uh to D&D. It's uh it's an interesting little uh, little tidbit there. Well, uh, you know what? I'm going to sign you up for that society at my university. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're super interested. I'm going to get you in like Flynn. Absolutely. I need to get my my wizard hat or uh <laughs> or a uh, or a gauntlet or uh, or a chainmail headdress or something. Be, be like, be like Scott Steiner and Oh no. 
<laughs> I gotta, I, I'm gonna tell you a story next episode. Uh, it, it's, it's quite good on, on the entire thing. So, uh, yeah, oh, so that's it. Look forward to that. Yep. <laughs> yes, sir. But I, I think, I think that'll do it for this week. Uh, we covered a great issue. We uh, covered a lot of feedback. Got a, a little bit into the weeds, but it's all part of the fun. Um, now, if you guys have anything you'd like to say about anything we said today, or if you want to sign up to be a Moritori recruit, if you if you want to give your reminiscences of Lorna, I'm sure she would appreciate it, her, <laughs> or her, her friends and family would appreciate your thoughts. Um, and we consider ourselves friends and family, so we would appreciate that as well. If you'd like to do that, you can reach out to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or probably better yet, because uh, we check our Twitters more often than the email, you could do so I'm at Ace Comics. You are at? You can find me on the Twitter machine at Charlton underscore hero. You can also find me in my retro ramblings over on the Superhero Satellite. Just give it a Google. It's a very long URL, so I'll spare, I'll spare you the trouble. <laughs> um, yeah, and as well, you know what? I'd like to call out uh, our good friends over on the Radlitching, uh, Radlitching Broadcasting Network. So sure. we're sp- we spoke a lot about 90s comics and all that stuff. Why don't you give uh, Jesse Starcher and his buddy a uh, a little listen? He's got a really cool podcast starting up. Uh, uh, well, he's a few episodes in right now. It's called uh, Unspoken Issues, and it's a, it's a good checkout, man. So uh, give Jesse and, his, and the boys a shout. It's yeah, perfect. We'll, uh, we'll link to their show in the uh, in the show notes you can find. Absolutely. And, good uh, stuff. It'll be a good time for you, for sure. Um, you can find me at uh, at Chris and Reggie, of course, and also at Chris's on Infinite Earths, where I'm still trucking through Action Comics Weekly. I think we're down to like six weeks to go. You can and, do it. You can do it, oh, Chris. Oh, boy. It's a, yeah, I, I need that extra drink of water to, to get the, the next lap of this marathon in. And uh, <laughs> from there, I have no idea where we're going to go, but uh, I'm sure wherever it is we go, it'll be uh, it'll be okay, I guess. <laughs> we'll see what's what. But uh that's all we got for you today, and uh, we want to thank you so, so much for hanging out and for hanging out with us on this weird Tuesday. But uh, we will do our best to keep it till Mondays from now on, but uh, you never know when a Tuesday might slip into the rotation. But again, thank you so, so much. We really appreciate you hanging out. and uh, Absolutely. We will uh, talk to you again real soon. Have a good evening, everybody. See ya. See ya.